0: Please join with me in today's scripture reading from Ephesians 5, verses 22 to 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Super excited to go over one of the easiest sections of scripture this morning. It's uh, my honor and pleasure. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you humbly asking for your presence and asking for you to speak to us. Um, We love you in Jesus name. Amen. If you are visiting um, for the first time or listening for the first time, it's really important for you to know uh, a few things. And one of the first things I'd, I'd like you to do is please listen to last week's message. Um, because it was used to set the stage for what we're going to be venturing into in the next several weeks. And to summarize last week, we, we reintroduced Ephesians to our church because we had taken a several months break from it. And in that message, uh, last week's message, we reviewed how the letter of Ephesians is structured and that the first three chapters of the letter were all you could find is indicative verbs in that section of scripture and that it was all about God and what God did in those verbs and and who God is and why God did what he did. And so it's a a love letter to those who belong to Jesus Christ. And then it's not until the second half of Ephesians, that second half of chapters 4 through 6, that we get any imperative verbs that actually instruct us on what to do and not to do and how to live. And so if you don't believe in chapters 1 through 3, then you really don't have to worry about chapters 4 through 6 because they're not for you. So that, that's a big thing to understand. Now, now why is that? I Maybe mean, you have to skip down to verse 32 because this is what it says. The mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And so what we're talking about regarding these most intimate relationships that we're going to be venturing into, whether that is husband, wife, parent, child, employer, employee, are not the real mysteries of love. The profound mystery is that of Christ and the church. And these are small pictures of that real mystery. So if you don't believe chapters one through three, the gospel in Jesus Christ, then what follows, chapters four through six, again, are not for you. They are for the believer in Christ. And the believer in Christ is then not to judge those who don't agree or condemn those who think differently or practice differently, just as I hope others don't judge us for believing in the Bible. So it goes both ways. And we believe that the Bible is inerrant, it is infallible, it is inspired by God, and that it is our absolute authority to to live by because of chapters one through three. And then that's why we follow chapters four through six. Now again, if you don't believe chapters one through three, Four through six aren't for you. I hope I've made that clear. It's the third time. But we still welcome you to listen. We still welcome you here. And we're not judging you. Another important reminder about this section is that it is not just for husbands and wives. So if you're single, please don't check out or ignore what's going on. Because remember, verse 32 This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church, that our identity is in Christ, and the believers are the church, whether you are married or you're not married, our identity is being made in the image of God, and that his church, those redeemed by the grace of God, are in Christ. And lastly, we're only looking at these three verses today, and it's really important to take these. verses in context and not to just read them in isolation. We need to look at these three verses in context of this entire letter and the entire book of scripture. And one of the challenges of looking at just a few verses at a time like, like we do here is that we risk reading verses without the whole picture in mind. And to get a better understanding of these verses, we do need to look at this entire letter. And so we can we can, we could do that, just look at this entire letter in one swoop and just be done with it, but then there are challenges to that too. And so in the way that we do things, we're hoping that we can give you a, a deep dive in a fewer verses and then hopefully get a better context by listening to verses after and before to, to get the whole context. Back to our verses this morning. In these three verses, we read the word submit. It appears three times, and generally speaking, this is not something people in the Western world uh, who value democracy find very attractive. The very ironic thing is that we all submit to the idea of democracy. So you are submitting. We do subject ourselves in a particular way of government. And for us, we find this a little easier to do because in part we're willing to do this because we still have a voice. We have a voice in democracy. We have a vote in democracy. We still have a choice. And so similarly in Christianity, your voice is not taken away. Actually, your voice is magnified because you get to speak to Almighty God. It is what we call prayer. We still get to communicate with one another in matters of the church, in what we call theology, and we get to still fellowship. We still learn from one another and communicate with each other about the things of God, and we we submit to things all the time. It's actually not something that is new. By merely living in a country, you submit to the laws of that land. By enrolling in a respective school or signing on to work for a respective company, you agree to submit to your school's or your employer's code of conduct. And the same thing, whatever you're thinking of, whether you're involved in sports, or you drive, or you take out a mortgage, or you're opening opening a bank account, you are submitting all the time to whatever that authority is that you're agreeing to be a part of. So it's nothing new. And so ultimately, who are we submitting to? It's an authority some sort of an authority in you know, everything that we do that whatever you submit to you get to do those certain things within that authority you get to participate in those things because you agree to submit to that authority that sanctions you for what you are submitting to and this is what believers of chapters 1 through 3 are doing when we submit to chapters 4 through 6 we have submitted to this authority in chapters 1 through 3. We have submitted to our authority the Bible. And we're not telling others to submit to this. We are sharing chapters 1 through 3 as to why this is appealing and who God is and why God loves you and what He does. We're sharing chapters 1 through 3 and His love for you just as you share club membership or you share things that you like and whatever. People don't submit to that yet. They haven't signed on to that yet, but you share about that because you believe in that. But the thing is, we don't skip to chapters 4 through 6, just like you don't skip to just, hey, don't get a driver's license, just drive. You can't do that. You have to submit to DMV. And you have to go under that authority in order to get a license. And then you can drive. Similarly here. And so, if you don't believe in Christ, you don't submit yourself to chapters 4 through 6. But if you do believe... And that your authority is the Bible, the Word of God. The Bible tells us that God establishes order in creation, in society, in the church, in marriage, in family. That's why we go on with chapters 4 through 6. You look back to Genesis and the very first words of the Bible read this. In the beginning, God. That before there was anything, there was God. That God is the sustainer of everything of everyone. Now, this is already a huge hang-up for some people, because there are some who don't believe in God. And again, you're free to believe whatever worldview you believe. But this is the believers' worldview. This is the worldview of those who believe in chapters one through three, is that this is where we start, and we're given where we come from through how things are going to end. And so we're given this whole story of how things started to how things end. And in between is where we're told this beautiful story of God pursuing us. Despite our rejection, despite our rebellion against Him, God pursues us to restore this relationship with Him that was broken in the beginning. To reconcile us to Him. And in this newfound relationship, God's authority calls for our submission. Submission within an authority in our world, in our family, in our employment, in marriage, and so we're given verses. 22 and 23, the imperative verbs with instructions in chapter 5 that are because we believed in chapters 1 through 3. And so here are these first two verses. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. And so for some, this is like nails on a chalkboard. And for some of you, you're too young to even know what a chalkboard is. You're like, what is a chalkboard? We use whiteboards or we use like projection screens, whatever. My daughters don't know what chalkboards are either. But one of the things that just really just gets them is when like you use silverware and you, you're eating from like porcelain bowls and you hear that scratch. You're, they, they hate that. So they always ask for chopsticks because they don't want the metal. Anyway, it's like that for some of you. But we need to look at the principle of submission in its totality, and it's not just in regard to marriage. We are looking at this picture of it in practice. It's one of the pictures, if you continue to read on in Ephesians. But it all points to Christ and the church. And so we're looking at God's divine ordering of society, in many aspects of society. It's not just in marriage. I mean, if you look into Romans chapter 13, it tells us as citizens how we are to submit to our governments. Not just democracy. Wherever we lived, whatever practice of government that is, that is what we're to submit to. In the book of Hebrews, we're instructed that those in the church are to submit to church leadership. And it's not just this church. It's churches worldwide with all types of different types of leadership, whether it's a sole pastor to elders, which is ours, to a congregational. It's church leadership. And we're given these examples in Ephesians 5 through 6 with marriage, family, and so forth. Now, I'll let you in on something in verse 22. The verb submit actually isn't in the original Greek, it's not there. You go back to verse 21, it's submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's verse 21, correct? And then so directly out of the Greek, it's more like this if you read verses 21 and 22. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to your own husbands. It doesn't put that submit word there again. So, what does this tell us? That it's more about the principle of submission, and this is an example of how that principle is being applied. So, for us to function effectively as a society, as a church, as a body of Christ, there needs to be a willingness to submit to one another. And this general principle of submission has, has ways that it needs to be practically applied. That to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to your husbands, children to your parents, Employees to your employer. And this is in no way about value or superiority or inferiority. The Bible is very clear that we are all made in the image of God. So we're equals. It is equal value. Equal dignity. We have equal inheritance. That we are equal in redemption as heirs of our faith. And it has nothing to do with one's ability, giftedness, intelligence. It is about a designed creative order, an order to be followed willingly. It's an act of obedience that the wife is not to be subjected or dominated by her husband. That submission is not through subjugation or through coercion. In fact you won't find anywhere in the Bible where the husband is given the responsibility to tell his wife about how to submit. It's not in there. Because it's not part of a husband's identity. Submission is the wife's call. It's totally up to her. She decides. She voluntarily submits as an act of obedience to Christ as the church voluntarily submits as an active obedience to Christ. And it's our joy as a church to submit to Christ. We don't do it begrudgingly. We do it because we are His church. We love Him. But husbands are in no way close to our perfect Christ. Absolutely true. But this is a example of how submission is to be practiced. Even with imperfect husbands, just as is, it is practiced with imperfect parents, imperfect governments, imperfect churches, imperfect employers. Now back to verse 22, you notice what it says. It says, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. It's not just a instruction for women to submit to men. In no way is it that. It is specific in regards to the wife and her husband. And you notice the second part of verse 22, as to the Lord. As to the Lord. You look back to verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And fast forward to the relationship between parents and children in Ephesians 6.1, children obey your parents in the Lord. And then Ephesians 6.5, employers and employees, bond servants, Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. And so the focus is obedience to Christ, submission to Christ. And in the marriage relationship, the obedience of the lady to submit to the Lord is shown in part in her submission to her husband. And that's what as to the Lord is in reference to. Part of a Christian wife's responsibility to Jesus Christ is to live under the lordship of Christ. Since the Christian wife has willingly decided to live under the lordship of Christ, she willingly chooses to submit to her husband. You choose chapters 1 through 3, this is the imperative instruction. Even though he's imperfect, even though he is possibly less gifted, Less intelligent, less able, which is many cases I found. But she submits as to the Lord Jesus. In verse 24 Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. This is more porcelain scratching from silverware. Because you read this and it says, everything. Well, the point is Christ and the church, isn't it? The church isn't to obey with partial obedience. Our response is to be fully obedient, willing, wholehearted. And marriage is a picture of this mystery because there are things that we just read in the Bible and we're just thinking, man, that's just really tough. That's just not our culture. That's, this is 2,000 years later from when Paul wrote this letter. This is all these different things that are going through our head, and yet here it is. Now when we read this, it may seem like all this responsibility on the wife, but we'll get to husbands next week, and you actually have a lot more verses, so there you have it. And within Christian marriage, within this designed order from God, it is meant to bring harmony to the marriage. And so when we read Proverbs, like Proverbs 27, starting in verse 15, A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. To restrain her is to restrain the wind or to grasp oil in one's right hand. Now, without this principle of submission, you just imagine this constant bickering, this constant fighting between spouses or within families or within work environments. And here Solomon is speaking about this context of marriage. Now when Paul wrote everything, does he really mean everything? Because I don't think, it doesn't seem to me that he's writing about just this blind unconditional obedience to everything because the husband does not have authority to call the wife to submit to something that God hasn't ordained for the well-being of society. That God still has the ultimate authority, so if the husband doesn't follow that, then the, everything is void. Because we are still under God. And so the Christian husband just can't demand whatever he wants from his wife and just says, like, submit to me. It says everything. No, you're not following God. Therefore, you're out. Like, doesn't count. Just like within the parent-child relationship, that if the parent is doing something ungodly, it's not that the child needs to submit to that. Just like your employer, if they are doing something that is ungodly, you don't have to submit to that. Just like we as citizens, if our government is doing something that we feel is ungodly and is against the authority of God, there's civil disobedience. Just like in the church. If you're a church member and the church leadership is doing something ungodly, nope. We don't have to follow that. And so when there are instructions that are contrary to God's commands, it does not fall under everything. Everything is only everything that is under God's authority. Okay, then we go with that. Outside of those bounds, no. Take a look at Acts chapter 4 verse 19. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God you must judge, right? If those we are to be in submission to command us to do what God forbids, then we can't submit. It doesn't work that way. But this is usually not the norm, right? Typically within the principle of submission in its varied forms, everything usually kind of works in those ways and those kind of other things are usually exceptions. we need to use our discernment for that. So for example, in the circumstances of abuse, whether it's physical, sexual, mental, spiritual, or any other form, a husband has no right to subject his wife to abuse. And so cannot misapply that principle of submission in cases like this. And so the principle of submission in the marriage relationship stems back to verse 23, but it's not this blind, unconditional submission. Verse 23, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. So within God's creation of marriage, God has given the husband headship within the marriage. And so you can read 1 Corinthians chapter 11 for more reference, for more resource. You can read, 1 Timothy chapter 2, for further study. Now some would argue that this just seems like archaic thinking, and Paul wrote that 2,000 years ago. But if you read this, Paul doesn't write addressing the culture of the time. He's just writing from the standpoint of creation. And his reference is Genesis. It is not his present time. And so we look at Genesis. Let's look at Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 22. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. When God made man and woman, he made them equals. But he didn't make them identical. They are different. He made them complementary to go together, to fit together, not just physically and anatomically, but also spiritually, psychologically, and purposefully different. And this is what a Christian who believes in chapters 1 through 3 believes. We also believe in Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 through 5, which we briefly looked at last week. the issues of disobedience and rebellion to God. When we believe that we know the difference between good and evil, when we actually don't. And so we've had the same struggle as our ancestors did to this day. It's the same struggle, thinking that we know better than God, and part of that aftermath is rebellion. And we read of this in Genesis chapter 3. If you skip down to verse 16, it reads this. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Now you'll notice that I changed translations here. I'm not trying to pull a fast one. I'm letting you know that I did that. Because the translation in the ESV, which we use in our pew Bibles, is not the most accurate when it's translating from Hebrew. And so I pulled this translation from NIV because translated from Hebrew, the NIV is more accurate because the Hebrew is ambiguous in how it's written, and it's not as one-sided sounding as the ESV because the ESV reads this, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And that is not what it says in Hebrew. It doesn't mention contrary. The NIV is more accurate to the original Hebrew. Regardless, here is the aftermath of rebellion in that it's not what it can be. It's not all harmony. It's only harmony if the husband rules well as the head and the wife's desires are in harmony with that headship, with what is good, then all is good. That there will be... Love, there will be care, there will be a cherishing, there will be a generosity, there will be a harmony. And because of the ambiguity within Genesis and Hebrew, there's also the other side of things where there's dissonance. What if the husband doesn't rule well or lead well? Or if the wife is in harmony with the husband even though he's ruling poorly, that there's still this dissonance, which is possible because he's imperfect. He is a fallen being. That is more likely going to happen. And so there's many ways that the dissonance can happen because there's many combinations that won't work rather than will work. But what God originally created was good. And what ruined it was the fall, this rebellion against God. And God had a solution. That first piece where Adam rebelled and caused the separation from God and then we know the end of the story because we're given revelation and we're given Genesis to Revelation. And then there's this all this in between. That this in between God sent Jesus Christ as the second Adam where Jesus submits, obeys and redeems what this first Adam failed to do. And so Jesus took this judgment that this Adam deserved so that what was broken by this fall was renewed and restored by Jesus Christ. And within Christian marriage, we can see what's possible in Christ in regard to a deep love, a forgiveness, a restoration, a renewal, a harmony within this marriage that many people know is very... Sanctifying process, may I put it lightly. Yes? Like I've shared with you guys lately, I've never done more marital counseling in these last two years than I have the last 18 years of pastoral ministry. These last two years, by far. By far. And then the next... Subject matter and submission is family, parents to children. Oh, my God. Sanctification 2.0. Nothing more in my life has been more sanctifying than children. But by nature... I'm not capable of loving my wife the way Christ loved the church. This middle part, without the Holy Spirit, there's no way. And the thing is, that my wife doesn't naturally want to submit to me. I asked her yesterday, or I asked her, I said, like, Katie, do you want to submit to me? And I was really surprised by the answer because she said yes you're not helping my sermon i'm trying to make this point and you know I'm just... and she was like well you know and i was like what about when we first got married like what, what before like we had this 18 years of experience of marriage and growing in marriage and going through the sanctification process to where you've come to this conclusion that you voluntarily are choosing to submit to me before that how about that no no did not want to. I was like, okay, thank you. You're helping me craft my sermon. Because it's not like she was sitting around while we were dating thinking, I can't wait to submit to him. Like, like no way, right? Like, no way. That knucklehead, like, you know, most of the time you're looking at that, that husband of yours, like, I'm smarter than that guy. Why, why am I submitting to that guy? Like, I, I, I'm more gifted. I'm more able. Like, he... He's like clueless. He can't even do anything. So so all these things. But it takes a great amount of effort and study and prayer and mentorship and humility to work toward loving my wife as Christ loves the church just as much as it takes for her to choose. I'm going to submit to him. It is so much work. But it's that middle part. It's that part where we as the church are trying to figure out how to serve Christ. Right? It's so hard. It's so difficult. Now, why would we even do this? Because we're believers of chapters 1 through 3. We believe in the authority of the Bible. Now, how do we do this? Oh, man. Lord, help us. right? The Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, we, we have to ask for these things. Because marriage can be incredibly challenging. You just think about this. Two completely different people with different upbringings and cultures. There's so many differences, I can't even name all of them. But just, just a few, like just these simple things. How one interprets success and one interprets failure. And then how much that can actually cause so much strife. Right? Or, or what disappoints this person and what disappoints this person because this person has a lot more lead before they get disappointed, but then this one gets set off right away. Like, what? Like, how can you be mad about that? Well, I'm mad. Right? Or how we interpret levels of what is good and what is bad. There's so many nuances within huge topics. It, it is numerous only by the Holy Spirit. Because we're all so sinful. We're all so selfish. We, we want things our way. That's why you fight. right? Because you, you, you have a position and you want to guard that position and then this person has a position and it's different and so you clash. And so we need to look at Christ and we need to look at the church in our most important relationships and here we have marriage. And we have to look at it in light of Christ and the church. And we need God's Word to direct our path as to what the authority is for those who believe in chapters 1 through 3. If you don't, it's not for you. So chill. I'm not telling you to submit to your husband if you don't believe that. If you don't, then do as you want. Do as whatever you believe. But if you do follow this, I need to tell you as your pastor, as one who believes in the authority of the Bible, and I'm assuming you do too if you believe chapters 1 through 3, this is what it says. This is what it says. I, I'm not skirting around it. And if you want to talk about, you know, exposit this more, if you want to break out the Greek and Hebrew more, and you want to talk about it, I'm willing to do that. But it, it's, it's not what it says. Let me end with this. Psalm chapter 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, for those of us who believe in you, Jesus Christ, we, we ask God that you would help us to submit to your word, whatever it says, that we would follow it, its authority. and. We, we know that there are challenges. We know that there are things um, that rub us the wrong way, and yet we ask for that humility so that we don't fall to the same consequences as those ancestors of ours in Genesis. That we're in this middle part now where, where Jesus Christ, you've come as the second Adam, and you've made available to us this reconciliation and this restoration. Help us to live well in that because we do know the end. You, you've given that to us. And so help us to submit to your will. Help us to ask for your will and, and live that in obedience. Not just in our marriages, God. But in all aspects of our lives, as whether you call us citizens of, of governments, within working relationships to our employers and employees, within Our family relationships, parent and children within church, whatever it may be, help us to see things in light of you, Jesus Christ, and we as your church. In your name, amen. If you have your communion elements, let's uh, bring those out. And if you don't have them, just raise your hand, we can get some to you. And we're going to first take out the uh, wafer on top, symbolizing the body of Christ that that middle portion that we were talking about, where Christ came to restore us to himself, to God. When we take this element in remembrance of him. Let's take this together. And in that last supper room, As they had the bread, Jesus also brought out this fruit of the vine, symbolizing the blood of Christ. We take this in remembrance of his sacrifice for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these reminders that we get to partake every week, to remind us of our relationship with you, to tap us on the shoulder and to take inventory of where we're at and so we ask god that you would help us to walk worthy of your call knowing that we are imperfect but we are in so desperate need of you in jesus name